Um, you can ask the person beside you. If you're sitting beside somebody this morning, um, I've got a question for you this morning. What's your favorite song? Why is it your favorite song? You might not have an answer to that. You might just have a song that you really like at the minute. But whatever it is, say to the person beside you, what's your favorite song? You might have um, a lot of different answers, and people have different answers for different reasons and different seasons. Um, I've got a few different answers for you here. Um, How Sweet It Is by Love By You by James Taylor was our first dance, so I really like that one. Um, I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan, but um, American Dynasty um, by Taylor Swift is a really good one because it used to put Caleb to sleep. Um, and Summer Holiday by Cliff Richard reminds me of my dad, who is here this morning. And um, also, Before the Throne of God Above would be, um, without a doubt, my favorite song of all time. I love it for lots of different reasons. I love singing it. Um, I love it because it consistently brings me back to God and, and points me to him. It makes me focus on him. Um, it also justifies the sinner. The second verse says, um, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. And it always makes me feel closer to God when I'm singing it. Um, but what is it about worship? Why do we do it? If, if someone who had never come to church before in their lives came into this building and saw us singing these songs that they've never heard before, they would wonder, what are you, what, why are you doing that? Um, but that's what we're going to talk, talk about this morning. This summer, we're going to go through a number of themes that appear throughout the Bible through this book, Storylines by Andrew Croft and Mike Pilavachi. And it's a really great book if you're looking to read it. It's called Storylines. And we'll be looking at some of the themes throughout the whole of Scripture. The covenant, the kingdom, God's presence. And today we're talking about worship. Um, but as a song says, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we can come and we can tell you how much we, we love you. Would you... Be with us this morning and speak to us about what it is to worship, why we do it, and how it can change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So yes, at, at the very beginning of the world, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. A number of um, writers, uh, um, C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller, and um, a children's singer called Ellie Holcomb would say that God sang the world into being. If you read... Um, the Magician's Nephew by um, C.S. Lewis, Aslan sings Narnia into being. And I think that's something that we can think about this morning as we're thinking about worship, that God was a singing God and he brought us into being. He made us in his image to be singers as well. And this idea of worship was a mutual relationship of love that was shared between us and God that we worship as an expression and an outworking of our love for God, that God showed us how much he loved us by creating the universe and by showing us um, his love in that, and also we show our love in him, for him by worshiping him. This relationship at the beginning between Adam and Eve was perfect. Imagine a relationship of love um, exchanged mutually that was perfect. Adam and Eve um, then chose to go their own way. And we choose to go our own way all of the time, chose to direct their worship to other things. 
By eating of the tree, they took their eyes off of God and off of worshiping him and took it onto themselves and onto created things. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 says they traded the, the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. We were, were we worshiped creation. We worshiped the things that God has made instead of worshiping him. We chose to look at ourselves and to look at creation instead of God. And this is a major theme throughout the Old Testament. If you were part of reading the Immerse series, you'd get frustrated with the people of Israel for how many times they turn to other gods that they know a lot of the time don't even exist. They, um, they tell Aaron to make this idol out of gold rings that they give to him, knowing that this gold calf can do nothing for them. But how much do we do that ourselves? We can't look at the world and think that I'm, I'm not a, I'm a worshipful person. All of us are worshiping something, directing our love and attention towards something. The book says this, instead of sacrificing to gain favor of pieces of wood, we're now willing to pay the designer price that will earn us the approval of those around us. Instead of listening at the shrines of the latest prophecies, many of us listen to utterances of Oprah, Given that worship can be defined as the expression and artworking of our love for God, it is fair to say that as a human race, we spend most of our time expressing and artworking our love for money, sex, fame, power, celebrity, each other, and ourselves, but to name a few. And I've just found it really interesting on the news to see how this has been played out, particularly in America at the minute, um, talking about the arms race and or the, the, the arms, um, the right to bear arms, the, the right for personal freedom and individualism and the reversal of the Roe versus Wade um, discussion and just how personal freedom and individualism seems to be the major um, God to be worshipped in our society today. These um, conversations are obviously nuanced and complex, but the truth is that it's about worshipping ourselves. The book of Hosea is a really interesting book to, to read on this topic as well. God uses this book to talk about idolatry, which is the worship of other gods, and he compares it to adultery. He says to the prophet Hosea, go and take a prostitute called Gomer as your wife. Go and marry her and take her as your wife and love her. Take her into your family, knowing that Gomer would eventually be unfaithful to him and leave him. Then he commands Hosea to bring her back again. Just as um, Hosea was commanded to take Gomer back again, as he, she was unfaithful to him, so God does that with us time and time again as we leave him and as we love other things rather than him. Israel um, was commanded to love God um, more than anything else in all of creation. They were commanded to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The foundation of Israel's worship was not dry obedience. They weren't just commanded to, com to do all these rules and to follow them. They were commanded to love God. And the heart of that love was the sacrificial system. A few months ago, I talked about Leviticus. And this was a book of, list, of a list of rules that helped the people of Israel come into God's presence and worship him. In that time, um, the worship of the time, there was no set of rules that would have helped people come into their God's presence. They would have sacrificed, and they would have not known if that sacrifice would have been acceptable or not. 
but God gave the people this achievable list of rules to help them come into his presence. The idea of the sacrificial system reverses the idea of idolatry. It gives the people an opportunity to say to God, these things that we could have worshipped mean nothing to us instead of you. If we love somebody, we spend money on them to show them that they mean more to us than money. And it's the same with God. We say to God, and, um, in the sacrificial system, they were saying to God, God, these things can go up in smoke compared to our love for you. That's how much they mean to us. But the problem is, it is a matter of the heart. The people of Israel did all of the things right at times, but they had the wrong heart. Like giving flowers to a wife and showing no expression of love to her at any other time, this was the people of Israel. They were doing the sacrifices, but they weren't living it out for God. Isaiah chapter 1 goes like this. God is speaking to the people of Israel. The multitudes of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and of fat, of, fat, of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked you of this, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. And goes on in verse 16. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widows. The book goes on to say that God isn't looking for perfect worship. And so ticking all the boxes of doing the right things, he's looking for perfect worshipers. And you and I and the people of Israel were not able to do this. It requires a change of heart. Even now, a challenge for us today. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that if you are not reconciled to somebody else and come to church with unforgiveness in your heart, then we should first go and reconcile with that person before we um, come to God. He says in, in Matthew 5, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. And so we're, we're to be right in our hearts before God, but none of us are capable of doing this perfectly. And neither were the people of Israel. And so God provided a perfect worshiper in Jesus. He lived a perfect life of worship to God. Everything that he did was a perfect worship. And that might seem distant from us, but 30 years of his life were lived like you and me in, in the everyday drudgery of life. And God said to him at his baptism, behold my son with whom I'm well pleased. And so our lives can be lives of worship to God. And he performed the perfect act of sacrifice and worship on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, his, for, uh, his once and for all sacrifice for sin. His death on the cross was the perfect sacrifice so that none of us would have to sacrifice again. Some of us think that coming to church, striving and doing tasks will earn us God's love, but that's not what it's about. Jesus' death on the cross accomplished the once and for all sacrifice for us. Coming to church won't earn us God's love and won't make us right with God. None, no church activity will. The only way to be made right with God is to believe in the perfect act of sacrifice that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross.
Then we let God change us and transform our lives so that we do these things out of an act of love for him. And so we come to church, not because we are earning God's love or being made right with God, but because we love him, because we love his people, and because we want to become more like him. We're commanded then in in Romans chapter 12 to live lives of sacrifice to God. He says, live your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And as Rick Warren has said in The Purpose Driven Life, this requires us daily coming to God and sacrificing ourselves to him. A living sacrifice would have to continually bring itself back onto the altar, and we have to do that as well. So in all of these things, it does require specific times and acts of praise and worship. That's why we sing in church. That's why we pray prayers of praise. That's why we play instruments. It involves doing something. In the, in the Bible, it talks about worship in lots of different instances. It says there's people who lie down and worship, people who bow down and worship, people who jump and sing and dance and play instruments in worship. There's no instance of sitting down in worship in the Bible. And that's not to say that sitting down worshiping is bad, but to say that we have to do something, that it requires us to engage in it. Second Samuel um, chapter 6, um, David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant in back to Israel again, um, to the place where it's going to rest in the tabernacle. He basically strips himself down. He stands in his underwear and dances in front of the um, Ark of the Covenant as it comes into Israel. And his wife is quite upset about this and says, you look so undignified in front of all these people. But David says this, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but through these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Simply to say, David was willing to be undignified in his worship if it glorified God. And in the same way, we shouldn't think about what everyone else is doing around us. We should simply engage with God. The book goes on to say that God blesses us with his presence when we praise him as well. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, You are enthroned in the praises of Israel. And lots of instances in the Bible where the people of God are praising him and he fills the tabernacle with his presence. The people of God are praising him and he fills the temple with his presence. In 1 Chronicles 20, the people of Israel are um, faced by two armies that are going to come and destroy them. And the king Jehoshaphat commands the people, instead of getting ready for war, he commands them to get ready to praise. They get their worship leaders, basically, to be in front of the army. And they praise God. And the passage says, for the beauty of his holiness, he doesn't praise God for the victory that he expects God to give him. He praises God for the beauty of his holiness. And in that, God brings about victory. The armies defeat each other and God wins the victory for them. When we praise God, we invite him to come into our situation and to do something about it through his glorious presence. And yes, we have to do this over and over again in life. We don't do it perfectly. 
but there's one day when we will be perfectly in God's presence. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 talks about how we will be in God's presence once more, that we will praise him forever, and that this relationship, this exclusive relationship of love, will be perfectly fulfilled. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is nigh among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no death or mourning or crying, for the old order of things has passed away. One day we will perfectly come into God's presence and worship him forever. There's a new song out at the minute um, called A Thousand Hallelujahs, and I want to read it to you this morning. Who else can, would rocks cry out to worship? Whose glory taught the stars to shine? Perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing, but this joy is mine. With a thousand hallelujahs, we magnify your name. You alone deserve the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Who else would die for our redemption, whose resurrection means I'll rise? There isn't time enough to sing of all you've done, but I have eternity to try. So we come to our passage this morning, Psalm 146, and I think it perfectly sums up what we're called to do and what the Bible says about worship. The end of the book of Psalms sums up all the lamentation, the confession, the praise of God, and it points it back to Jesus, or back to God again, and says, I will praise him with my whole life. We need to live our whole lives of worship to, as acts of worship to God, not earning from God, but showing him our love. We need to turn from idols. So as it says, don't put your trust in princes. We put our trust in God alone, not in people or in things. We praise him for everything he has made. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. And we praise him for his son, Jesus, who did these amazing things for us. He upholds the, the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, sets prisoners free, gives sight to the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down, watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless and the widow, and frustrates the wicked. So I just thought as an act of praise this morning, um, could we stand together and we will um, read Psalm 146 together. And I'll just close to finish. So if you're able to stand, let's stand and we'll say Psalm 146 together. It'll just come up on the screen. It's just a Bible reading from earlier. If you just want to stick the Bible reading up, that would be great. Great, thanks, Elliot. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, 
in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose help is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Please take your seats and we'll pray together as the band come up. 